everyone, and welcome to another off-season edition of the Talking About podcast. I am Sean Kennedy. With me on the line is Liberty Ballers Dave Early. We're going to talk game one of the NBA Finals between the Celtics and Warriors. Then we're going to go in, into the Brooklyn deferral and the Sixers retaining their 2022 first-round draft pick. Talk a little Darvin Ham uh, becoming the new head coach of the Lakers and the, the doc fallout and what that means for the Sixers. And then we're going to follow that up with our George Niang season in review. So on the line with me is Dave Early. Dave, how are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you. Uh, yeah. So game one, very exciting basketball. We had Thursday night, the Celtics won game one. Very uh, interesting game. They, they fell behind by double digits in the first half, came back to take a two-point lead at halftime. Then once again, big third quarter for the Warriors. They take another double-digit lead, but then Boston just blows the doors off with a 40-16 to fourth quarter. They end up winning 120-108. to I mean, all, all credit to Boston. They, they showed a lot of resiliency coming back from multiple double-digit deficits like they had in Golden State. Uh, just, man, exci- exciting game. Uh, what, what were your overall impressions of game one? Yeah, it was uh, definitely an exciting game, 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 game. Uh, after they came back the first time and made it a two-point two lead at the half, I was thinking, that's that's basically it. I mean, Steph Curry just went ballistic. I think he was, like, breaking Michael Jordan's finals record with 21 points in a quarter or something. Yeah, and he, had, he had six threes in the first. Um, they're, they're playing that drop coverage for some reason, and Steph was just walking in to pull up threes. And they were losing the game. And so I was just thinking like, all right, if Steph is the best player in this series, is it possible that Boston has like the next five? I guess Brown, Smart, Horford, maybe Williams. I don't know. Would you take Clay and Draymond over Williams, but would you take them over Horford? or smart i mean looney might be honestly be the warrior's second best player right now he's been playing really well um yeah and so i think that there was this talent disparity that i didn't account for um i actually placed my DraftKings bet on the celtics at halftime thinking like i just don't see what they can do and it didn't look good for a little while they're down by 14 heading in to uh, down by 12 heading into the fourth i think and then I swear that there was the 20-minute stretch of real time where I didn't see the Celtics miss a single shot. And I think I look back, it was like 10 in a row. Someone has shown the before and after of Steve Kerr, like (laughs) up 12, now down eight. Yeah, it it was a big game for uh, noted marksman Al Horford, who (laughs) finished with a team-high 26 points. He was six for eight from three. Uh, I, I want to quickly take you back to the 2020 playoff series where Al Horford hit a grand total of zero threes in Philadelphia's series against Boston. Um, so yeah, great, great, great. Al, glad you uh, suddenly found the fountain of youth once again after your brief hiatus of being awful in Philadelphia. Um, just needed two years off. That's all any veteran needs. Yeah, just needed a, a year of uh, rest and recuperation in Oklahoma City to get his legs back, I guess. And yeah, yeah looking at looking at that uh, that sweep in 2020, Horford averaged seven points a game 
and did not make a three in the series. So, of course, he comes out in game one of the NBA Finals and scores 26 and hits six threes. But, yeah, um, between Horford and then Marcus Smart, who was four of seven, and Derek White was five of eight from three. So you're getting, uh, what's that, 15 threes from three guys who are, you know, not their main perimeter threats. Uh, I mean, Smart will shoot threes, but he's not a great average on his career. Derek White, similarly, like low to mid thirties on his career from three and yeah, Horford who you know, takes some threes, but never been a, a huge part of his game. And for them to, to hit 15, that's, you don't expect that to continue, but you also don't expect Jason Tatum to shoot three for 17 and only score 12 points. So even, even if the regression comes for those kind of secondary guys, um, there, there's still good signs ahead for Boston. Um, we should mention Jalen and Tatum combined for like what 13 of 40. So when they get going, it's, it's going to be tough. Yeah. Uh, Brown was also similarly struggling like Tatum was, but then he, he really picked it up in the fourth quarter and he was the kind of the catalyst for that huge start to the fourth for them. I think he, he scored or assisted on something like 14 straight points for them. I, I don't remember the exact stat, but he, he really came alive in the fourth. So um, he, he did finish with 24 uh, and a, a not terrible 10 of 23 from the field after he, he was really bad in the, in the first half, especially. Um, but yeah, so you, you expect the J team to pick it up a little bit, even if the, the supporting cast falls off a bit. So I, I think Boston has, has found some things to go to. Um, we, sh- we should mention 43s made in this game between the combined from the two teams. That was an NBA finals record. So Definitely in a new era of basketball and, and two teams that are very, very capable of lighting it up from the outside. Um, if you're, if you're Golden State, Dave, what, what do you think, what adjustments can be made? What, what would you look for them to do differently um, in kind of like a must win game too now that they, they dropped game one at home? Yeah. From a, from a Sixers standpoint, um, I think one of your bigger takeaways is that both of these teams have some five outlooks. Both of these teams play some small ball. I know that the Warriors probably play their best ball with Looney on the floor. Um, so that's not really small, but it does allow them some switchability. What are the Sixers lacking? They, they were lacking uh, some switchability and some small ball looks. And both of these teams have it. So you wonder, like, when you see what the chess match that's happening between Steve Kerr and he made Doka, who was on the Sixers, it just further makes what was mind was maddening at the time seem even weirder that, you know, a guy like Doc Rivers insists on using a traditional center, um, even when it's clear to both the analytics and the eye test that it doesn't work. The Sixers absolutely have to try to find some of these playoff viable lineups during the regular season next season and test them out. Both of these teams are proving how important that that can be. Yeah, Boston definitely had most of their success when they did not pair Horford and uh, Time Lord Robert Williams together. It was when either of them was on the floor alone as, as the five with, you know, four wings or perimeter guys that that's when they had the bulk of their success. The, the Horford at the five lineup in the fourth was when they, they made their huge surge to, you know, pull in front and everything. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so the, the Sixers got to go out and find their own Al Horford. Where, where could we get one of those? <laughs> yeah, you're not gonna find you're not gonna find Al Horford. He's picked right after Kevin Durant, and basically is 
we didn't know it at the time, but he was everything you're looking for for the modern era in a big, uh, and he's the perfect teammate. So I think his draft status on the all-time list is higher than people thought of him during his most of his career. Um, in terms of adjustments, well, I think not letting them shoot like 12 of 16 in the fourth quarter would be a start. So defensively, they may want to, uh, to rethink some things. I know they were in scramble mode quite a bit. Uh, I, I don't think, I think you mentioned, I don't think guys like Derek White is kind of having like his Fred Van Vliet he was struggling before <laughs> he had a child. Yeah. He, now he, the child is born and he can't miss. Yeah. He has dad powers. Much, much He's definitely like uh, having Fred some did. dad powers. <laughs> I think a lot of their rotations will look better when the role players on Boston, like Marcus Smart hitting step back and one threes over Wiggins. Um, that's tough. So wouldn't make I wouldn't overreact too much and and ch- change the entire game plan. I mean, Steve Kerr has probably talked about it a little bit already. We got here doing what we do. They they shoot a lot of threes. They get a lot of offensive rebounds. They're going to continue to do that. Um, but, but yeah, it was tough. And, and I, I do think that they'll probably bounce back and win game two. But then they're going to be in a lot of trouble in Boston. Yeah. Um... Great job by Boston to, to pull this one out. Getting getting a game one win on the road really sets them up well for the rest of the series. And yeah, the fact that they did it in a game where where Tatum really struggled and 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 did some things well. Also, he had a game high thirteen assists, so he he did contribute to the win in a lot of ways. But still, he shot thir- three of seventeen from the field. I don't expect that to repeat. Um, so yeah, we'll we'll see what adjustments are made in game two. Both very well coached teams, obviously. And um, in, in terms of golden state that they've been here before with most of this roster. So they're not going to be down in the dumps about one loss. They, they know these are long series and expect another exciting game too um, over the weekend. So yeah, tough, tough to watch as a Sixers fan to see Boston uh, playing well and getting a win in the finals, but yeah, good basketball. Nonetheless, Um, I don't, yeah. Go ahead. No, I was I was going to transition, but yeah, finish your thought. Um, it's tough. It, like you said, it's tough for a Sixers fan because it's like Boston is ahead of schedule. Their two best players are still under twenty five. You didn't want them to win a title at this point, you know, because this team could be in the finals in for four of the next six years or something insane, and that's like a Sixers fan's worst nightmare. Um, so you kind of wanted to delay their uh, their maturation and their growth, but the Sixers former assistant has him clicking on all cylinders. Yep. So leading scorer, former Sixer guy that was pretty much terrible here. And the head coach who's uh, orchestrated this turnaround from when in December, they were talking about the, the Jays needed to be broken up and, and suddenly they are three wins away from a title. Um, Ime Doka, former Sixers assistant. Uh, seems like, between Jimmy Butler and now Horford having a good game one and Yudoka being the, the head coach of a team in the finals. Um, seems like some past could have gone differently for Philadelphia the last few years. <laughs> the, yeah, uh, and Celtics fans seeing Doc <laughs> here. Yeah, exactly. Um, so we'll we'll keep an eye on the, on the rest of the finals. Um, exciting action in game one. But let, let's turn to the Sixers who, in trying to 
reshape this roster after their own playoff exit will at least have the 2022 first round pick to to use in some fashion after Brooklyn officially announced on the June 1st deadline that they would be deferring the Sixers um, acceptance of the Sixers pick to 2023. And that was part of the James Harden, Ben Simmons overall trade. So the Sixers will pick at number 23. Um, They cannot trade the pick prior to the draft um, due to the stepping rule because they won't have a 2023 pick, but they can select the player for another team and then officially make the transaction trading that player away after the draft. So they, they could get a win now guy um, and, tr- and try to see if there's a rookie that would be able to contribute um, right, right from day one, or they could, you know, trade for a veteran after the fact and use whatever player they draft um, to another team for a veteran contributor. Um, Dave, what, it, you know, what you've been following this closely, you, you have Brooklyn and Philadelphia ties with your, your journalistic endeavors. What, what did uh, you think of Brooklyn deferring and did it seem like the right move for them? Do you think this is helpful for the Sixers or what do, what do you think about everything? Yeah, I actually think both sides like the way it happened. I mean, obviously Brooklyn does, but I think it's it works out for the Sixers too. If Brooklyn had not deferred, uh, it would have put the Sixers in a couple tricky positions. First of all, it's a lot less fun for fans because now there's something to look forward to with the draft. Uh, I do like having this sweetener right away so that they could look to make a trade. Um, ultimately, if we look back, we're probably going to say that the best move was to take a player and develop him a little bit because he's going to be really, really good, but it's tough to name who that player is going to be. And if you can't do that, probably better off taking a veteran via trade. So I'm thinking that that's the way the Sixers are going to go. You know, it's easy from our point of view to say, I like Kennedy Chandler, Tari Eason, Wendell Moore, uh, Kendall Brown and Justin Lewis, because one of those guys is going to look really, really good. But being Daryl Elton and, and, Vince Rosman and picking the right guy and he's able to contribute in the next two seasons under Joel's prime, that's going to be really hard to find um, and might not happen. So won't be surprised if they do shop that and say, Hey, when we're on the clock, do you want to make this pick for us as part of a bigger deal? I feel like that, that would answer a few issues for them. Yeah. The getting, getting a more of a sure thing veteran, uh, they might deem that to be the move, um, even if there's lower upside and it, it wouldn't leave you with as much cap flexibility in the future, it, you know, potentially having a rotation guy down the road that would still be on a rookie contract. That's hugely valuable. Obviously, uh, Tyrese Maxey being on his rookie deal is one of the big reasons the whatever James Harden extension or anything that gets worked out, that might be a little more palatable because then once the Harden deal came off the books, then that's when you'd have to, you know, pay the the second contract to Maxi. But having a guy who is slightly below all-star level right now, still ton of runway to grow in, in Tyrese, who's who's getting money that's allocated to the 21st overall pick right now. That's hugely beneficial for the Sixers. So if they were to strike gold with 23 and get, you know, obviously not a guy who's gonna sweep the league like Maxi had in his second season. But if you got a guy who could be an eighth or ninth man, uh, getting, getting that rookie scale contract, that'd be hugely beneficial. But as you said, there, there's plenty of options. 
some of them are going to work out, some of them aren't. And if you get one that that does not work out, then you're you you kind of wasted an opportunity to uh, improve your roster when you could go out and definitely get a contributor who doesn't have the the upside and the and the salary help down the road, but of a veteran, but but somebody that could definitely help you from a this limited window, as you mentioned, where you, you have Joel at the, his MVP peak, uh, how long that will last, we don't know. And, uh, and you have James Harden, who is, is already on the, the tail end of his career slope. How, how long before that completely falls out, we don't know. So you, you kind of have this shortened window to uh, really make your contention push right now. So you, you, de- you definitely want to make sure whatever happens from this 23rd pick, whether it's a, a rookie or a a guy via trade that they are able to help in the short term. Um, but yeah, Brooklyn's uh, definitely banking on the Sixers, the bottom falling out next year, uh, which Dave, I, I have to think there there's from their perspective, there's definitely a scenario where this pick could end up pretty good. What do you think? Could definitely end up pretty good. Yeah. I think first of all, they'll be watching whether or not James Harden leaves in free agency. I don't think he will, but that's part of their calculus. If you're looking for the lowest possible floor, um, maybe that they, they can't work something out long-term and he opts in and then really nobody's happy because he was looking for a long five-year deal. And the Sixers were hoping to get him on a contract that's much cheaper, closer to the $30 million in the first year of it, rather than this 47 mega mega option he's got. Um, because if he opts into that, it's possible that the Sixers are looking at this as sort of a borrowed time thing. We have seen James when he's disgruntled, not play his best. If Joel Embiid got hurt at any point in the season, if James Harden tweaked his hamstring, would the Sixers opt to be hyper-conservative and just shut him down for a month? So there's all kinds of ways where they could end up in that um, you know, bottom range. The better part of things for the Sixers is, even in some absolute worst-case scenarios, Harden and Embiid both get hurt. You could still aim for that 10 seed, get healthy at the end of the year, win the play-in, and at least force the Nets to not have a lottery pick because your absolute nightmare would be they don't make the playoffs, they don't make the play-in, or they're a 10th seed, and then, then the pick moves up to three, one, two, three, or 4. And so you could pretty much avoid that and relegate them to a 15th pick by simply making the playoffs, but... um. If you're the Nets, I think this is the right move because you don't need that pick to be great. I mean, look at Boston. If you had Boston's pick this year, you could have traded it around Christmas for some pretty good value. They didn't even have a winning record at some point in December. So even though they go on and win the title, at some point in the year, their pick would have had quite a bit of value to trade. Well, well, Dave, you, you've really laid out some darkest timeline stuff for Sixers fans. <laughs> We're talking about, oh, well, they could, they could try to go for the 10 seed. And, and if they don't get that, then the pick could go. We could lose a, a top four pick potentially, man. If, if, if that's how this breaks out, then I, I feel like there's, there's going to be a line at the Ben Franklin Bridge. Um, <laughs> uh, that would be tough. But yeah, obviously we don't expect that to happen. I mean, any reasonably healthy Joel Embiid season raises the floor significantly. This will be a playoff team. Um, but yeah, if, if he does get injured, that, that would open a, a whole different door of possibilities for sure. Um, yeah, but yeah, I agree. Brooklyn making the calculus that yeah, a 23 pick could help us, you know, we'd probably end up trading it if 
they they can just as easily trade the 2023 pick right now. So if there was a veteran they wanted to get, they they could trade that pick just as easily as they could the 22 pick. Um, and whereas they retain a lot of upside, like sure, 23 is good. It's fine to have, but if you could get a mid-teens pick out of this, which I think would be fairly reason reasonable, like or a late teens, I guess. Um that's that that seems well within the, the realm of possibility, then um that that would be a big big win in, in this deferral for the Nets. Um and I, I wouldn't expect the Sixers to be demonstrably better next season where uh, the pick suddenly like 27 or 28 and they would have lost out on this deferral. Like, I, I don't think that Sixers are going to be a top four team in the league next year. Um, so yeah, the yeah. Sixers at some point, even after a hot start, I think Joel Embiid had breakthrough COVID and the Sixers were eight and seven. So the Nets really don't need this pick to be even better than 23. They just need one team to think it might be. Yeah. Uh, and then they'll, they'll look to trade it. Yeah, that's a good point. They could they could pounce um, at any low point of the Sixers season next year and, and kind of try to maximize value from it. So, yeah, it, this was interesting to follow. Um, we're going to have a lot of draft coverage now that we know for sure that the Sixers are picking at 23. So be sure to be reading all that stuff on Liberty Ballers. Um, I'm not a draft expert by any means, um, but I did have a, a Q&A with Mark Schindler, which up on the site already, which I would recommend people reading, talks about some of the prospects that uh, the Sixers could be targeting. Um, yeah, and all of our staff's going to have great coverage in, in the coming weeks, so be sure to check that out. Um, the, other, the other thing Sixers related we wanted to talk about um, was the Lakers officially hiring Darvin Ham as their new head coach. There had been a lot of speculation that they were courting Doc Rivers in some fashion, or they were hoping that he became available. Um, the Sixers had been very steadfast ever since the season ended that, you know, Doc's our guy. We don't expect him to go anywhere. He's under contract. He's going to be here. We're building with him. Um, so does, does seem like that will be the case, Dave. Um, is, is there any hope? I, I know there were some, some rumors of like still Utah interest out there, but I think this, does this officially close the door on Doc Rivers not being the coach next year? And what do you think about it? I would say almost certainly. I mean, I think I was at 85%. He was going to stay last time we talked about this. That's much higher now. But until the Jazz and until the Hornets have a coach, you can't completely close that door. Uh, I think most of the scuttlebutt was that the Sixers were going to take the position that he's our guy and we're not firing him and they're comfortable with that. And so they feel content that he's not going to leave, but had the Lakers who, you know, apparently are not very flush made him an offer that was comparable to the 8 million per year for three years. He was going to make was, was would doc have left on his own. And I think that was why everyone on ESPN was saying the Lakers still loom. They're still out there. You don't know what's going to happen. They say Doc loves that golf lifestyle. Um, but Utah, it's got to be a tougher sell, right? I don't know if Doc Rivers loves the Utah lifestyle. Um, I guess Charlotte maybe for sure, but I'm thinking he'll be back. I will be very curious to hear what Mr. Ham, congrats to him, received from the Lakers because I don't think it's going to be in that $8 million ballpark or anywhere close. I think part of the reason they drag out their search was to avoid any bidding wars, you know, on a guy like Mike D'Antoni who could say, I have X waiting for me from Charlotte. Um, if he 
if we did hear somehow that he was making like $6 million a year, then we would ask ourselves, hmm, you know, if they offered that to Doc or even more for a guy of Doc's prestige, could they have worked something out offsetting so that the Sixers are only paying the difference, $6 million total rather than the $24 million they owe him? Uh, and then we can ask ourselves some what ifs. But for now, it looks like Doc is going to be the coach for next year. Yep, it sure does. Um, it was reported that Ham received a four-year deal, but as you said, the dollar amount has not been reported. Uh, yeah, I would I would also expect it to be much a much lower price figure um, for a guy who's a first-time coach now. Uh, and I, I'm sure that figured into LA's calculus a little bit. Um, but yeah, he well-respected around the league. Even people that are looking for the Lakers to fail. Uh, have said this was a good hire. And then, so we'll see what he's able to do with uh, that roster moving forward. But from the, from the Philadelphia perspective, it uh, does seem like Doc Rivers is here to stay, at least for next year. So um, not everyone is happy about that in the Delaware Valley, but it does seem to be the That's reality. <laughs> um, yeah, especially watching the finals. You, you wonder about that. So hopefully they have a good assistant group on that bench. They'll be maybe a little more vocal this coming season. Yep. Uh, yeah, we'll we'll see how that all plays out. Um, and hopefully uh, Doc, Doc is the guy to, that can finally get through to whatever reshaped roster Daryl constructs heading into next year. And I, I only ask that they don't bring uh, a 30, mid-30-year-old center who can't stretch the floor that, that, that would be my my one hope um all right we're going to take a quick break and hear from our sponsor and then when we come back we're going to do our george niang season interview when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply all right and we are back so in the liberty ballers podcast network series that we're doing here we're, we're spotlighting one player at a time doing a season interview right now we're going to talk about george niang who regular season in his first year as a philadelphia 76er pretty much exactly what you could have hoped and maybe then some he once again shot 40 percent from three for the fourth straight season um he averaged a career high close to 23 minutes a game while he was here, career high 9.2 points per game. Definitely became a much more um, active member of the rotation than I think people thought going into the year. I think when he was signed, it was, oh, he's going to be the backup forward to Tobias, so he'll play the 15 minutes a game that Harris doesn't play. And But they, they actually played those guys a lot. We saw a little bit of small ball lineups with uh, Tobias and Niang together as like a four or five. We saw a lot of lineups where Tobias and Niang were the forwards at the three and the four together. Um, but then postseason was a different story. He kind of got exposed a little bit um, on the defensive end in the postseason. He had some really rough uh, shooting variants in the, in the Miami series, especially he had 
an 0 for 7 game in game one and then an 0 for 6 game from three in game five. So I don't know, Dave, first year of the the minivan experience, what what was your what are your feelings after after one year in Philadelphia for George Niang? I think he's a really likable guy. I think he was a good signing. Uh, I know that uh, we've heard Doc Rivers recruited him, really wanted him and Andre Drummond last offseason, and I think Daryl must have agreed um, because they were here. They got him on another another season, around $3 million. So very, very good value. Of the guys like Shake Milton, Minivan, Korkmaz, um, maybe Isaiah Joe, he became the one where you felt most confident he's going to hit that open corner three. Um, and so that earned him playing time when Ben Simmons was out of the lineup. He was an integral member of that rotation. He had some really fun games. He was part of a team that was overachieving. I think they wound up with the fifth seed until the James Harden trade, right? And then when Harden was in the fold, he had some instant chemistry with him in that sort of slip the screen and pop game that made it difficult for defenses to play those screens the way they wanted to. They, they had to switch and then you need the personnel to do that. Teams often did not have that until the playoffs started. Yeah. I liked the, the first thing you mentioned was that he's a good dude and that, that really did seem to, to shine through. He was a, huge cheerleader of Joel and Tyrese on social media, like probably one of Embiid's biggest MVP uh, cheerleaders. It was probably Kendrick Perkins and then Niang as far as like (laughs) prominent names shouting for Joel to win MVP. Um, Yeah. A lot of, a lot of good things to like about about him being on the team. Uh, the, the trash talk is always fun. I like I like when this random bench dude hits a three and then chirps in the, the opposing bench's face. That's that's always great. He's um, really bold and he'll just <laughs> he'll talk trash to superstars. Yeah, I, I mean I love it. Uh, that's yeah. that that sort of uh, irrational confidence and swagger that that, that that makes for a fun viewing experience for for fans. So great stuff there. Um, the minivan nickname is 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 very fun. Uh, I liked the the bang bang George Niang uh, broadcast call from Kate Scott. Uh, that 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 always seemed to hit right with me. Um, yeah, lot lot of lot of good stuff. Um, but I, I think the the biggest takeaway for me is we just played the series against the Heat, and they talk about Jimmy Butler as there are there are eighty two game guys and there are sixteen game guys, and Jimmy Butler is a sixteen game guy, and I I feel like it's just kind of the the inverse for for Niang he's an 80 he's a very good 82 game guy but he's not a good 16 game guy because when the postseason rolls around and teams are able to exploit weaknesses a lot more than they do during the regular season like Niang's a guy with a lot of holes in this game and they and they can really attack him in a lot of different ways whereas in the regular season you know you're playing a team coming off a back-to-back you're playing teams that are not going to be in the playoffs. Their defensive rotations are not as sharp. He's going to have open looks that are not there in the playoffs. And he's, he's a great guy to have on the roster. I I think, I I still think it's a very good signing. Um, He's, he's a good eighth to ninth man to have. It's not his fault that the other guys coming off the bench that were supposed to be their contributors had struggles this season. And he kind of became like the de facto sixth man. like George Niang should not be your sixth man, but 
I don't think we should, you know, say, hey, you were the guy who played well enough when everyone else was flailing that you just became the sixth man by default. That's your fault. Like, that's not the case. Like, he played well, and he was the only guy that we wanted to see get minutes. And, yeah, the, it just didn't work out in the playoffs. He had a really rough stretch of shooting variance. I think he was getting open looks that he would hit otherwise. So I don't think he was – He's as bad a player as we saw in the Miami series, but I still have a lot of concerns about him being a guy that you're expecting to average 15 minutes a game in the playoffs. I think he can maybe average six to eight minutes a game in the playoffs, but I don't think he should be that heavily in the rotation. So I'm glad he's back for another season. I look forward to him doing all that that fun and wonderful stuff that we discussed. Um, and like I said, I think he's a, a really good, guy to have like as the ninth man but the the reality is that daryl needs to do more to improve the roster so that we don't head into the next season um and expecting niang to be like a sixth or seventh man and and playing another 16 minutes a game in the playoffs like that just can't happen yeah we saw this postseason players who were one-way players um and i know it should probably be noted that minivan had a knee injury that might have been part of his terrible shooting against Miami that might have made his defense worse than it might have been. But I, you know, you can also see like he doesn't necessarily have the wingspan to deter a guy like Siakam and Toronto and then Miami would go at him relentlessly and the refs just are prepared to call a foul basically right away. Uh, I think he fouled out pretty quickly or he picked up a lot of fouls per minute in the playoffs. And I don't know that that's not going to be a problem next year. You saw guys like Grayson Allen and Duncan Robinson and other shooters and their coaches had the option to go in another direction. I'm not sure that Doc Rivers felt that he did. I'm not sure that Daryl Morey felt that he did, or would he have disagreed that you could have played someone else like Isaiah Joe, perhaps. Um, but the Sixers are going to need to address that from a front office and coaching standpoint next season, where if he is an innings eater and he's not a guy that we can rely on for the playoffs, you need to have ramped up his his alternative because the Bucks were able to do that when Wes Matthews was healthy and our Jackson Frank just wrote a great piece on Matthews basically getting um, Grayson's minutes when when push came to shove, you know, because of his defense. And they were willing to live with the fact that he wasn't as good of an open shot shooter as Allen. Um, and in Miami, obviously, they have – always the plethora of guys you probably never heard of before they're good there. And then suddenly they're destroying your team. Like get Gabe Vincent that you could put in over Duncan Robinson. You might've penciled in for those minutes before the year started. The Sixers are probably going to need to find a couple of those guys who in case Niang picks up another knee injury or can't hang in the playoffs, they've got an alternative. Yep. And the, the problem is that everyone's looking for those guys. It, it, it seems like you need everybody to be able to, defend competently and at least be able to hit shots to the point where they don't stand 10 feet off you. And as long as you can do those two things, you can be on a postseason roster, uh, a postseason rotation. But if you're not able to do either of those things, then it's just this huge hole that the opposing team is going to exploit. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I even, we can, we can say maybe the knee slowed him down a little bit, but I, I just don't know if Nang has ever been a good enough defender to, to warrant that 
So yeah, you can, you can throw him in and, and hope he gets hot and, and buy yourself a couple of minutes, but yeah, just don't, don't see him being a, a prominent part of a, a postseason rotation, but nevertheless, still very good guy to have on, on the roster. Like you, you need guys to eat up minutes during a, a long 82 game regular season. So he's definitely valuable in that sense. And as we said, good dude, fun to have around, like definitely a, a positive um, signing for the Sixers and enjoyed the Niang experience. But yeah, the, the, the overall upside is, is capped because I, I just don't think he can be a, a, pl- a, a true playoff contributor. So you're, you're Darryl, tough, but fair Kennedy, you're tough, but fair. <laughs> do you think, do you think that he could be on the move? No, I mean, he, he his contract is so reasonable. Like what the Sixers are in a cap situation. Like what, what could they get back like anyone that's at a similar contract and a, a a player that the Sixers would want, like that, those aren't guys that the opposing teams are giving away. So, yeah, I, I don't really see. I think Niang will definitely be be back next year. Um, and yeah, hopefully the the roster is just a little bit better, and Niang can be a ninth man, and we can say, hey, he perfectly fits that role. Like, and he's not overstretched or overused or anything like that. So, yeah. Um, that, that'll wrap it up for the George and Yang season interview. Um, keep listening to the Liberty Ballers podcast network to fill out the rest of the roster as we uh, conclude that in this series. Dave, always good talking to you. Um, where can everybody find your stuff um, online? Uh, at David Early on Twitter and at Liberty Ballers. All right. And as Thank I you. said, yep. As I said, uh, we're going to have a lot of great draft coverage in the coming weeks leading up to the uh the first round pick the Sixers are going to make it 23 overall in the 2022 NBA draft so yeah definitely make make sure that you're uh checking in on Liberty Ballers and uh, you can find me on Twitter at Philly Fast Break until uh next week we will talk to you and enjoy uh the rest of this NBA finals game on the shirt an exciting one